hope everybody had a great weekend. We are here on Monday, June 13th on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. And Mark and I have often talked that the league is a better league when the Raiders are at the top of their game. It's a more interesting league to watch. It is a more fun and exciting league to watch. And Mark, we have really, I think, one of our uh, you know goal guests, one of our dream guests that we wanted to get on when we first started this podcast about a year ago. And it happens to be someone very important from the history of the Oakland Raiders. Yeah, I can't tell you how excited I am. I know we were talking about this today. Um, just talk about like a top five guest of all time, like dream type guest. Like for me, like Joe Montana, yeah, grew up idolizing Joe Montana, played the quarterback position, wanted to be Joe Montana, wanted to be Tom Brady too. And I'm a Patriots fan, so of course I'd love to have Tom on the show. Roger Goodell would be a great guest too, you know? talk a little deflategate maybe ask him about what it's like to be a lawyer but this next this get i'm so excited for this guest you have no idea yeah the big reveal we're finally going to uh put it out there we have amy trask the former ceo of the oakland raiders joining us here on the inside the pylon quick kicks podcast and amy i want to thank you for taking the time today uh to join us and talk a little bit of football with us well, you are very, very gracious to have me on. I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation. And you have thrown me in company in which I don't belong. To mention me with Joe Montana, let's not get carried away, man. Let's, let's kind of come back to reality, all right? Well, look, we'll put you guys on the field. We'll see how you do up against each other. And then I think we can, you know, we'll, put a, we'll make it a, a real competition. I think that's what Al Davis would have wanted, right? Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so talk to me, Amy. I want to start really at the beginning of your career because much, my, much like Mark, uh, you went to law school, you were a lawyer, and my question to you is, was that a goal, was that a path that you set out to do in order to get to the NFL, or were you figuring, look, maybe I'll just end up being an attorney, uh, and you ended up in the NFL by mistake? What was, what was the thought process behind that? Actually... Kind of, sort of, neither. I was one of the, um, you know, let's say zillions of, of kids coming out of college who um, attended law, you know, and, and maybe people at other points in their lives who attended law school with absolutely positively no intent whatsoever to practice law. In fact, it was an affirmative decision on my part that notwithstanding that I was going to attend law school, I was not going to practice law. Um, I went for the education. Uh, I went really to simply continue, um, you know, in school and, and gathering an education. And I, and I had and I have spectacular parents who underscored and, and the, the importance of ed- education and assisted me um, in every regard in that manner. So coming out of Cal, I decided I would go to law school, declaring to everyone who knew me, no chance whatsoever will I practice law. And ultimately, I did practice law for a bit, Uh, but it was while I was at Cal that I fell in love with the Raiders. Um, When I moved from Berkeley back down to Southern California for law school, the Raiders came with me, which I thought was very nice. Um, And and yes, I, I feel terribly for the Oakland fans. They left, but it was nice for me that my team was coming to Los Angeles at the same time I was, and I contacted the team while I was in law school, and I asked if I could be an intern. Amy, obviously that's a great way to go about the law school experience because for me, I just basically went to law school just to put off making a decision. So at least you went into it with a clear path. I just 
went into it just to kind of put off, you know, the real world for three more years. But when you oh, okay, approach- I just didn't admit that part. I, oh, let okay. me just tell you something. I just didn't admit that part. I was trying to be very grand and say that I went for the education, which I did, and for the critical analysis, which I did. Okay. But when I noted that my parents would pay for additional education, heck, it was sure a lot better than, than going into the real world. So you're just more forthright than I am. Before we go any further, I also just want to hop in and say that I was actually, I took the LSAT and I was a paralegal for two days before I quit. So <laughs> I'm, I'm part of the club too, kind of. That's terrific. Mark, you can continue. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, my question was, Amy, when you first had this idea that, look, I want to work for the Raiders, like, did you get any sort of like pushback on that? Like people that you went to law school with, like when I left the practice of law to start writing about football, there were, I certainly got some quizzical looks and stares from former peers of mine. I was wondering if you had something similar. Oh, no, to the contrary. People, um, uh, you know, looked at the, it, how could you look at an opportunity to work for the Raiders or in the National Football League with anything other than wide-eyed, wow. Um, so no pushback whatsoever. And, you know, when I called the team initially and said, I'd like to be an intern, I was in law school at the time. And someone said, well, what's an intern? And I said, I work for you and you don't pay me. And they said, come on down. And, and that's what started my career in the National Football League. Amy, looking at different teams, every team internally has a different culture that they build in order to try to create a successful uh, team both on and off the field. What were some of the key tenets uh, that Al Davis put together in order to try to build a successful culture within the Raiders organization? Well, you know, you're, you're of course, 100% right. There are now 32, when I started in the league, 30 um, clubs. Each is owned by, of course, a different individual, and each of those individuals has a very, very different style um, that he brings to ownership. And so not only are there different cultures within the organizations, there are different structures, there are different um, organizational ethos. It's, it's Every team is entirely different in how they tackle, no pun intended, everything. And, you know, Al had his own unique style for how he chose to run the team. And um, I think the biggest, biggest misconception about Al was that he would not have around him anyone who disagreed with him and that he wanted only a culture in which people said yes. And let me tell you, man, if that were the case, I would have been fired about two weeks into my job, at which time I told Al I thought he was wrong about something, and we engaged in a very, very, very heated argument. And when we were done, he said, oh, okay, I gotcha, and that was that. And so, you know, I can speak to the dynamic of my working relationship with Al for an almost 30-year period. Um, we disagreed more than we agreed. I did not agree with much of what you just described as, you know, organizational culture in, in some regards, if you will. He never discouraged me from disagreeing with him. But at the end of the day, it was his team, and he owned it. And my view was always that it was my role and my responsibility to disagree with him as forcefully as I wished privately, but once he made a decision, to try to effectuate that as best I could. 
Amy, how important do you think it was, not only just for the success of the Raiders as just one isolated example, but for any organization to have you know, somebody like Al Davis who's in charge, but somebody like a right-hand person like you who can have that sort of back and forth, like discussion of ideas and push back on each other. How important do you think that is to the successful operation of a, like, for example, the Raiders or any sort of other business? I think it's very, very important to any any business. Um, you know, the, the business tenets that I think are the most important within an organization are that people need to communicate, cooperate, collaborate, and coordinate. And I often refer to those as the four C's of business. Um, but attendant with all that is the ability to disagree. Um, what good does it do anyone who owns or runs an organization if he or she is surrounded only by people who agree. I think that's a very stagnant way to run a business, and, and it's very problematic. And look, you know, when we talk about Al, there are, um, shall I say, like, like you know, the, the old man on, who says, get off the lawn, I'll sound very old for a moment and say, kids today, um, think of Al and the organization he ran in perhaps the last 10 years of his life, which was decidedly different than earlier in his life. And certainly decisions were made in the last years of his life, which did not set the organization up for a long view. They were decisions that he made with an immediate view in mind. And my response when people ask me about that is, look, every one of us will have a very, very different view of long term when we are in our late 70s or 80s or, you know, of, of an age like that. And we, we are well aware of the health challenges that we are facing and our mortality than we will at other points in our life. Look, anybody running an organization is going to view the long term differently when he or she is in their 40s or 50s or even 60s and in good health than when he or she knows that, that it, it's time to face one's mortality. One of the things that you touched on a little bit earlier was the fact that in addition to different cultures, teams have different structures within them uh, in terms of their front office and how they set up that aspect of their business. Can you talk a little bit about the structure that was employed in Oakland and some of the advantages that you felt that structure gave you? Sure. Um, well, I mean, let's start with the, the biggest advantage that, that I enjoyed, and that's beyond structure. And that was Al's um, decades, decades-long tradition of hiring without regard to race, ethnicity, religion, or gender. So I'll certainly answer your question as to structure in a minute. But, you know, look, there are very, very strong feelings on both sides of the fence, so to speak, about Al. Um, and what I say to those who are his biggest detractors is that even they must acknowledge that this is someone who hired in an absolutely inclusive manner decades and decades before other people thought to do so. So, you know, he hired Tom Flores. He subsequently hired me. And then after that, Art Shell. So, you know, when you talk about an organizational culture, that's one that I, I don't believe Al receives enough credit for that. And even those people who are not Al fans, you know, acknowledge fair enough. He did do that before it was thought by anybody to do such things. You know, as to the organizational structure, Al was very, very direct with me that he did not believe in a hierarchical structure. He did not believe in a pyramid 
he did not believe in a chain of command, which is fascinating given some of the discussions I had with him about the military and world affairs, that when it came to the Raiders, he did not believe that there should be a chain of command. Um, He really believed in a much more fluid approach. And you know what? That can work very well or not. Some people embrace an approach like that. Some people resist an approach like that. But it's the approach that worked for him. Amy, I wanted to kind of build off something you were just talking about. You talked about how, you know, Al brought in some diverse members of society, you know, hired you, hired, you know, Tom Flores, hired Art Shell. And the diversity thing was great, but I think also there was an inclusion to that as well. It's one thing to just hire people and it's almost for show, but as you talked about, it was an inclusion app, an atmosphere of inclusion as well, where every viewpoint was not only just tolerated, but he wanted to hear from other people. Is that right? Um, you, you are right, and you're right in both regards. Al was never going to hire someone for show. Um, Al was never going to hire someone to make a statement or to um, put on an act. Al hired who he wanted to hire, and by the way, he fired whomever he wanted to fire, and he wasn't shy about doing that either, as we know, but it wasn't for show. Um, and, you know, it was my experience with Al, and I observed this with others, that he did want to hear diverse viewpoints. He did want people to disagree with him when they felt it appropriate to do so. But what I learned from that first argument on was, if you're going to argue, back it up with data, and then he'd engage in a debate. But don't just disagree for the sake of disagreeing without being able to make your case, so to speak. And then you know what? I had to recognize after I made my case, if you will, that at the end of the day, Al owned the team, and whatever decision he made, whether I agreed with it or not, I needed to do my best to make it into the best decision I could for him and not to let the fact that we disagreed out publicly. Now, Amy, you spent, if my math is right, and I hope it is because otherwise it would be embarrassing since I tend to think of myself as being good in that aspect of life, you spent 26 years with the Raiders, and you know that is, in sports, an eternity. No one spends 26 years with any team anymore, and I'm curious because in being able to do that, you spanned you know, really several different eras in the NFL and several different uh, significant changes from the salary cap to negotiations for uh, broadcast rights and so forth, and I'm curious what you thought the biggest shifts were along your time uh, with the Raiders there, what some of the biggest changes were that you had to adapt to, both personally and also, uh, you know, the NFL and how that shifted as well. Um, Your math is right. Uh, If you include my internship, it's a little bit over 28 years. So when I'm, you know, when I, you know, I would love to say, yeah, I spent almost 30 years with the Raiders and I started when I was 12 um, because I like that math a lot better than admitting when I really did start. Um, works for no, us. Your math that is, works. Yep. Your, your, your math is right as to my, um, my employment for pay as opposed to if we included my internship. Um, and, and it's a heck of an interesting question because you're right, over an almost 30-year period, um, there were tremendous, tremendous shifts within the league. And, you know, I was asked very early in my career to identify what I believed would be a significant challenge for the league going forward. And one of the challenges I identified was the growing gap between the highest revenue and the lowest revenue clubs. 
Um, there are, as I said earlier, now 32. When I started, there were 30. And at that time, there was a significant gap in revenue between Club 1 and Club 30. Now, the gap in revenues between Club 1 and Club 32 is, is a tremendous, tremendous gap. Um, and that gap, it, it both, um, it's a little bit circular because it both dictates how teams may operate, but it also shows that there's a differing emphasis, if you will, placed on revenues. So I'll, I'll just sort of slide right into what I now see as a very, or I'll now identify as a very, very significant change over the years I was in the league, is the values that franchises transfer for when they are sold. And look, there are still owners in the league who inherited their teams, there are owners in the league who've bought those teams for very, very, very little money. Um, there are owners who have no acquisition debt whatsoever associated with their team, either because, as I said, they inherited them or they or their families purchased them for very, very, very little. And there are owners who have purchased teams for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And they do have financial pressures and realities to deal with as part of that. And so there is a very, very significant difference of view within the league as to the importance of revenues and the emphasis that should be placed on revenues. So that that's actually it dovetails greatly into my next question there, which is people when they when they talk about league finances, oftentimes it's about the salary cap and talking about, well, this team can make room by doing this or this team can make room by doing that. But I'm curious because when we talk about things such as guaranteeing money and adding in new bonuses and rolling money from one period to the next, we're often just looking at it in terms of the cap. But there's a very real element there in terms of, look, you as a business owner, or Al as a business owner, and you as his right hand have to make sure you can meet that payroll. And that's something most people just don't think about when they look at the NFL. If I could jump through this phone line and throw my arms around you and hug <laughs> you right now, I would do that. If I were bewitched or I were that woman on I Dream of Jeannie, I guess her name was Jeannie, and I could teleport myself, I would do that because you are one of the only people with whom I have ever discussed that who has identified that issue of cash. Look, the cap is a method of accounting. You've got gap accounting, you've got cash accounting, you've got tax accounting, and you've got cap accounting. It's a method of accounting. And at the end of the day, teams can sort through and manage these cap accounting issues. But you've got to understand what your budgetary directives are from ownership. And there are teams who have budgetary constraints. In some cases, because they are kind of squished and that that's a very technical finance term by the way oh, yeah. squished. Very. Um, but you know in some instances they are there are cash constraints on teams because they have EBITDA requirements in their in their banking covenants or they have debt coverage requirements in their banking covenants or simply because an owner places cash limitations on the employees and says here's what I'm going to allow you to spend so it, it always fascinates me, and I talk about it on the shows in which I'm involved. People immediately say, cap, 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 but you are 100% right. There are cash issues to address as well. 
Amy, I, I've got to ask a question sort of about Raiders Nation now. As somebody who's a fan of another team, the, the Patriots, it's always kind of been almost, I want to say, intimidated as an outsider, I'd want to say. But I actually saw on Twitter, and if you're not following on Amy on Twitter, you have to be. You spoke recently about how when you left the organization, there was never even a thought in your mind to this day about going anywhere else because your home was always with the Raiders. How special was it to be part of Raiders Nation? What does that really like mean to somebody who's almost, like I said, intimidated by it? Well, um, first of all, I'm kind of glad I, that we intimidate you. Um, you, no, you at least aside, me. Okay, at least you. All right. Well, fair enough. You know, all teasing aside, um, I did share that on Twitter, and, and thank you for, for bringing that up. And, and the reason I thank you is I don't in any way wish to suggest that someone who makes a different choice, and gosh knows, I have tons of former colleagues within the league who do move from team to team, and they've been with one, two, three, four teams. They move around the league, and I'm not in any way making a value judgment on what they choose to do. They've chosen for themselves a career in the National Football League where moving from team to team is easy for them. Dare I say, teams may be fungible to them. The Raiders are not fungible to me. It was always my honor and my privilege and the opportunity of a lifetime to work for Al and to be a Raider and to be part of Raider Nation. And I defended Raider Nation with every breath I had while I was with the team, and I still do. And for me, you know, my, my choice, my, 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 the decision I had to make um, was the hardest decision I have ever made in my life. I decided to step away from something I had loved for almost 30 years, but it never, ever occurred to me before, after, or since to join another organization. And several have reached out to me to inquire about my interest, and I thank them and tell them that that's just not for me. I was a Raider. <laughs> well, there's no doubt about that at all. And unfortunately, we are out of time for the day today. The good news, though, whether you are a regular listener or whether this is your first time listening to our podcast, we are back tomorrow with Amy as well. So make sure if you're not already subscribed, go on to iTunes, go on to Stitcher, go on to Overcast, whatever it is, go and subscribe. It's 20 minutes every day. And tomorrow, we've got Amy Trask back again to go through more questions on the Raiders and her time in the NFL. That is all the time we have today. We'll see you tomorrow on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Podcast.